Steve Huey's journey is a journey of many parts. From working class suburbs to a guru of using frequent flyer points to fly flat in business and first class. From small business accountant to the millionaire's factory of Macquarie Bank. From banking and finance at Macquarie Bank to startup entrepreneur. From startup founder to the most well-known Australian brand in frequent flyer miles, the Points Whisperer. As an immigrant to Australia, Steve is another great Australian success story, proving that hard work and smart work can get you anywhere. As Steve says, there are many different paths to the same place. If you want to fly at business class, and let's face it, we all do, then Steve sheds a lot of light on earning frequent flyer points and, more importantly, scoring that all-important frequent flyer points business class seat. It is a dark art, and Steve Huey has mastered it. Fly flat with Steve and I as we dissect each of his journeys and show you the path to a bed in the sky. Steve Huey, founder iflyflat.com.au, a.k.a. The Points Whisperer, Welcome to Discipline. Thank you very much. Pleasure. So tell me, how does a boy from Blacktown High School end up spending his life at the pointy end of a plane? I, I never would have thought about it myself. You know, from Blacktown, humble beginnings. My parents actually still live in Blacktown now. Do they? So I go visit them once every fortnight or so, or they visit me. Uh, but I literally just worked out that using points to fly is the cheapest thing since sliced bread. And... And once you sort of get that thing un- underway and you discover that there's no such thing that's cheaper than flying business class for about price of economy, you just never let it go. And, and because my background is accounting and finance, that once you get the numbers right, you sort of think that why doesn't everyone do it? Right, yes. Yeah. Why doesn't everyone do it? I, I don't know. Maybe they're just not good with a calculator. That's yes. what I sort of think. Is it too hard for people? I think it's a multiple-step calculation. So when I first started iFly for about seven years ago, like you know, you come with a realisation and you think that everyone knows what you know, so, so what's a big deal? And then I started realising that only because of my accounting and finance background did I have maybe a, like a competitive advantage in calculating how this works. And as I talked to more and more people, I realised that People have different strengths. So some people are really good at social media. Some people are good at legal. Some people are good at numbers. I am just happen to be the guy who's good at numbers yep. and f- found out a way that I can use credit card points to fly. Let me take you back to where you found out you were good at numbers. Yep. So you're at school. You're good at numbers then? Yeah, I did economics. Yep. Uh, pretty good grades at, at HSC. Yep. Good student. Good student. Yep. Good parents pushing you through uh, the school system as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so they never put too much pressure, but they said, "Well, you got to study." That's why we came. They came to Australia, right, to have a better life. So, therefore, me and my sister could study. Yep. And you've done that. You've then gone yep. into uh, university, got a seat, come out the other end with a CPA. Yep. And ended up at the Millionaires Factory for. Uh, <laughs> you know, was this something that uh, you always wanted to do? Go into accountancy, spend your life in numbers. Well, actually, I remember the day when I decided I was either going to do a Bachelor of Psychology yep. or a Bachelor of Commerce. I had not decided. But I picked up a salary guide and I flicked Bachelor <laughs> of Psychology. I was paying like $19,000. Yeah. Bachelor of Commerce was paying 38000 bucks, and the decision was made. Double the money, double the money. hours in the day. But I was still always interested in the psychology around things. Yes. Um, 
And I, and I think maybe the second thing was, you know, when I said that I did a CPA, so when you finish your Bachelor of Commerce, you're two parts. You're able to do a CA yep. or you do a CPA. Yep. Yep. So when, what I did is I looked at some ads and they were advertising for CFO. They said CPA or CA. So I thought, well, if they don't distinguish the difference between CPA, which is actually technically most people say it's easier because it's actually multiple choice, versus CA, so, so I chose the easy path. So the CA, you've got to do a full balance sheet yeah. and make the, the, the books balance. And, and you've got to work with an, an, account, an accounting firm. Yeah. It's much more in-depth uh, to get that CA. Yes. Whereas a CPA, okay. you could do it uh, while working for a commerce firm. The whole thing was multiple choice. And I think at that point when I thought, well, if there's two paths and they come back and converge with the same job, why not choose you, a slightly you, easy path? You strike me as being pretty pragmatic. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you know, you're looking at the numbers. You've, you've plotted a career path, which when you think about it is an absolute no-brainer. But then you get this job uh, out of your CPA at a travel company, Icon Services. Yeah. Now, is that part of the uh, equation or is this just I'm going to take a job anywhere one that, comes up? That, that one was just pure luck. Yep. Uh, I was interviewing for... Uh, Price Warehouse Coopers, EY type thing. That's where all my friends were going. Uh, but I didn't really feel like I was a true accountant. So I wanted to work in commerce. So when a role in um, Icon Services, which is a travel company, it, it sold, it was what they call was a general sales agent at the time. They sold tickets for Ethiopian, uh, Asiana, which is Korean airline, yep. and Royal Zimbabwe. Yep. So they were the selling agents in Australia for those airlines. Uh, so that was when I first started to have a love of travel because you get into under the bonnet, understand how these travel companies. So work. this is an accidental. This is an accidental sliding doors moment in your life. Getting this job completely accidental. Yeah, right. I did accounting. I did the IT systems. Yeah. So I was. I, I did multiple things yes. in that company. That's unbelievable. And did it really, you know, had you been to where your family came from before you started at this company? Had you been out of Australia? Had you done any travel? Not, not much. So our, our family are not big travellers. So we never really had many holidays. My, my dad working hard. So we were not really holiday people. So only at, at university or when I started this company did I first start travelling. And I, I remember uh, that when ANSET was still around, to go to Hong Kong or you need to do is get your manager to send an email to their friends at Anset. You got a ticket. It was free. No questions. No asked. questions. It was, and then I understood that there was ah, the multiple good old pricing. days. Okay, yeah, multiple right. pricing. Everyone in travel paid a different price. Yes, all the way from free to maximum. Yep. So every person, every seat's paying a different price, and that's what I thought was really interesting. Okay, so the numbers got you there. Um, it is interesting when you think about it. Someone once explained to me how crazy airline tickets would be if they sold paint in the same way. You know, you go down to Bunnings and someone says, when are you going to buy, when are you going to paint your house? <laughs> and you say, in three months, I'll say, well, this tin's worth $100. And you, if you say today, they'll say, well, this tin's $1,000. <laughs> yes. So seem, it, we'll come back to it. It seems a bit crazy. Okay, so you've lucked into Icon, got a bit of a travel bug. Yep. And then you've then gone to Macquarie, whereas some of your friends have started at the big firms immediately out of uni. How did, how did you then end up at Macquarie? Oh, actually, there was a job before Macquarie. Um, it was FAI Home Security. Okay. It was a home security company, marketing company. So I did accounting in there. Uh, but then after a year and a half, I felt 
I think I need something bigger on my CV. So working for two small companies in my whole career plan wasn't quite there. So then that's when I got a job at Yep. And then I spent 11 years at Macquarie. Did you apply to them or did they? I I, I applied, yeah. I think I remember the time when I, another decision point was, she'll work for Macquarie. And then I was talking to my uh, then girlfriend and, and now wife that, yeah, we need something blue chip on your CV. Yep. Uh, and when I started Macquarie, I never thought I was going to work there for 11 years. That's unbe- that's um, a good stint. Yeah, it's a great company. Like yeah. Each job was like a different company, yeah. company within a company. And how much did you grow, uh, you know, in terms of your professional abilities over that 10-year period? Yeah, so I'm a very much ad hoc, random type of guy, I would say. So that gave me so much sort of like, I guess, compliance, uh, understanding about how blue trick companies work. Uh, the loose type philosophy that Alan Moss had. So each company, each division is working like his own company. It could be loose and do entrepreneur stuff. It would be had to be tight. They had to adhere to the, the, the compliance, the regulatory stuff like that. Uh, so really, really interesting. It was, it was the only place I ever had the perception that people who were earning multiple millions of dollars per year were sitting over playing next to you a graduate yeah. or, or like an executive. Yeah. And they were just normal people. And these were the, the wild days, I imagine, uh, in Macquarie where they were... They were know, making lots of money. Yes. <laughs> They're still making lots of money. Still making lots of money. But back then they were, you know, exceptional. Yeah, but but the biggest realisation was that these guys, they're just, they're just completely normal people. They were very humble. They were making so much more money. Uh, than I could even imagine in my whole career. Did like, you had you pedestaled people that made a lot of money before? Before that, yes. Yeah. Because you don't really come in contact with them. So you think if you made five million bucks a year, then you must be this certain type of person. Yes. But when I met them in person, they were just another guy. And did that do anything for your confidence or anything in terms of what what limitations you placed on yourself then? Yeah, that I think that really opened me up to think, well, really you just just have to have to you just all you need is a certain amount of skills yep. in certain area, yeah, and you do it well, and you can get paid for it, yeah. If that's what the market wants, and that that's only only difference apart from anyone else is that you have a certain skill that someone wants, yeah. So you've, you've you're sitting amongst you know people who are doing exceptionally well fiscally, yeah, in a company that's you know globally renowned and doing exceptionally well fiscally. You're ten or eleven years into this journey. Yep. Um, what light goes on in Steve's head now that says I'm going to start a business? <laughs> well, actually, that that wasn't the reason why uh, I left Macquarie. Actually, just after the GFC, uh, I was hearing words of you know, there has to be staff numbers or dropped or something. So I actually put my name on the redundancy list. So after eleven years, I got made redundant. Macquarie. But because you put your hand because up, because I you put didn't, my hand okay. up, I said it was time. So I, I didn't want to be uh, in banking forever. So I thought it's time for me to do something different. Yes, and uh, very luckily, I was given brown paper bag and said, "See you later." <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't be. It wouldn't be the first person to have uh, taken a redundancy voluntarily, or you know, put their hand up to be at the front of the line. And use that buffer to then try something different. So there is a gap on your mm. CV. Six months or so. What did yeah. you do? Just travel? I travelled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I travelled. I actually deployed my freaking fly skills 
at that time. Yep. And I flew first class, business class, Los Angeles, Vegas. I went to the uh, London Olympics. Yep. I went to the Tour of France. Yeah. I went to Champagne region. I went to Zurich, went to Copenhagen. I went all these places flying first in business class that would have cost a bomb retail price. You know, th- but I flew all on points. This this has got a bit of the Paul Keating about it, you know, <laughs> the, the the boy from, you know, the working class suburbs who has a, a penchant for the, the finer things in life. Um, you know, did this ever occur to you of your humble background and what you're doing in terms of, you know, sitting at the front of a plane, which is one of the most uh, luxurious, you know, items that people can uh, aspire to. It, it's, it's, if, even now when I fly, I still sort of pinch myself. It's like, how, why are you here? Because the guys sitting next to you, they are so much more successful because they make so much more money or they pay much higher price or they in much higher roles. Um, but I sort of think, well, you know, there, there's many ways to get to the same location. I just chosen a, a way that I've investigated and researched through points. So if you came through the money way, that means you're good at making money and a $20,000 flight to you is okay. I'm just good at earning points. So I'm in, a, in the same seat next to you. We've both chosen different paths to get to the same location. And when did you think that your ability to be good at points could be a business that you were going to, okay, I'm going to put up my shingle out the front of an office and say, this is a business. Tell me about that uh, step. Yeah, I think it was because of the value proposition. So you were flying a business class, which is to Europe, costing between eight ten thousand dollars $10,000, but it was only costing you probably $2,000 in cost. So it, that, that's a bit like buying something low and selling high. If you could help people... A fly ten thousand dollar ticket for two three thousand dollars. There must be a margin in there yep. that that wouldn't someone wouldn't pay you. And I think from that hypothesis, I thought if I can help people fly in say five six thousand bucks, there must be something in it for me to enable that knowledge. And and that's what I, I hung my sign on. So you you went out and did that. Um, and how long did it take before you had a moment, your first moment, where you went, "Wow, I think I've actually got a business here." Well, first I started planning that I was only charged something so menial in a way, so amateur, like $50 per ticket. Is that how much book. it was? Well, that, that was the plan. So you sort of think that you have thousands of customers that all pay 50 bucks, and But then you get on and start doing it. You think like, it's not this got to cost more than 50 because it's, I'm already spent two, three, four, five hours on it. Yes. So you're not going to be working $10 an hour when you used to work at Macquarie and you think, when am I going to regain my lifestyle? Yes, back? yes. So you very quickly realise that you're not going to get thousands of customers, but you might as well deliver top service to the customers you have at the right price yep. point. Yep, I was asking, you know, where, where was the moment where you first went, wow, I've got a business here, you know, something actually happened or a client or your bank balance uh, yep. got to a certain level and you went, wow, I'm, I'm really onto something here. Well, I think the first first couple of years, because ours is a service business, I, I knew straight away that we were, were positive in such that that will make fees that covered our expenses. But what I didn't know in the first couple of years was which one was not paying for itself, yep. which ones were. Because at the very start of the business, you're just happy to take any customer 
because you're sort of selling an ID. This is my idea. I'll book flights for you. I'll tell you what to do. And if you're happy to engage me, I'm like, great. You love my ID. Yes. The money part was sort of like secondary. Yes. You were just trying to yes. sell that someone was going to pay for my ID. Uh, and then probably, oh, I think probably year five, year four or five, that's when it, the, it turned where the, the we actually started making money yeah. enough to start paying me. Yeah. And at that point, that's when I knew, yes, there's a real business here because now enough people are keep coming back for the service. Uh, and mind you, we kept increasing our fees because we always thought that we was not charging right. Yeah. I think we're about right now. Yeah. But I guess you never know. You never know what's the right optimal fee. It's really hard. It's, you know, to find perfect price discrimination. You've got to uh, lose a few and win a few. And when you're winning too many, you probably go, well, I can probably adjust my prices north. Yep. I think it's fascinating that you said, you know, it was year four before things started to go well. I think um, a number of entrepreneurs I've spoken to have said the same thing. So, for listeners, there's no silver bullets, is there? There's just a lot of hard work, and it does take years before you're actually turning out over some really good numbers. Yeah, because you you always have a plan, and you think, oh, well, it's really easy to get customers. It's not because customers don't like what you do. It's, I think there's two hurdles to overcome. One is they need to know about you first, so marketing is expensive, so people don't know about you. Second one is they need to understand what you do for them. Yep. So even though... Many people would already have heard of iFlyFlat, the points whisperer, or, or me, but they don't know what I do yeah. because that message has not got to them. So at least I've got a head start that they know about me. And then second, I just got to tell them what I do. But if they don't know what you can do for them, they don't engage with you yeah. and you can't help them. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest hurdle. So yeah, I say to most people that ask me now, three years, you have to tough out for three years yeah. survive yes if your business is still going you're still getting cu- customers then after that you'll start making money yeah because you realise what causes losses uh, you realise what causes profits and you start sort of like working out what you should spend money on what you should yeah and you get to understand your sweet spot a bit mm. better as well like originally you say you take anyone as a yeah. customer and then after a few years you can say actually you know I did them in the past and they're too hard work so we're not going to do that anymore so yep. you really refine uh, yeah, your you offering you start choosing your customers yeah, yeah. that you know that you can deliver value to and there's, there's other customers that you know you can't really deliver value to yeah. so you might as well just start do the, have the conversation early yeah. then later and was it a lot, you know, you, you mentioned before you wanted to do, make as much money with the same amount of output that you did at the bank, um, but you want to get your life back. So clearly you're working ridiculous hours to build up this brand and this reputation. Was it harder than you thought when you thought, I'm going to start a business? Oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I expected to do. Um, but, it, but the good thing was McCrory taught me about hard work, so... Um, so in a, in a city, even like in Sydney, you go, you go outside at five o'clock and thousands of people are going home. Like for me, going home time is not till seven thirty, eight o'clock. And it, for Macquarie days, that's completely normal. And, and today it's completely normal. Yeah. That there's no point going home till seven thirty. Um, yeah. Because why 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 join in the rush? Yeah. Um, so because of I think working in Macquarie uh, give me a, a Maybe an abnormal sense of what 
normal working hours are. Yeah. So I, I put that into my own business. Well, Steve, I was just up the road up Martin Place at uh, Minter Ellison looking at these Macquarie bankers <laughs> leaving at 7.30 thinking, gee, they've got an easy run, those guys. <laughs> They're I'm just going out to get dinner. They're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It's true. Uh, it's very true. In that time, so that hard-working time, was there some sacrifices that you made and you look back and go, geez, I... I missed a lot in that period of time. Is there anything that sticks out? What did I miss out? Well, I I guess I can say I had a fair amount of free time, so therefore you could control your days. Yes. But what I felt was that you're always on call. So if a career came in, you had to sort of jump on board and do it at any time. You were the the front end of customer service. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100% fell to you. And flights are urgent. So yeah. someone wants a flight. So the, the sequence is someone wants a flight. You start looking for a flight. You find one. You let them know. They might take their time to get back to you. But when they say, yes, I want to book it, then you have to get onto it because that seat could be gone. Yep. So if the seat was gone when they came back to you, well, nothing you can do. But you don't want to be the cause of the lost seat yes. because then you have to start again. So there's, there's urgency involved. So sometimes when you, in the past, my team does it now, but you're checking your email, oh, God, you don't know what's going to be there. It's a bit of adrenaline going through your system the whole time. Yes. It must have been fun. It's fun because it's fun because we're getting people holidays. You're getting people flying first in business class that they never would have. Yeah. So I guess I'm living through them in a way that they get to go to Paris or Istanbul or New York. Um. What about you? You went it alone. Did you ever think maybe I could take a partner with me, or I need someone to help? I mean, at the start, you you know you can't afford to hire people at, at full salary, so you go, well, can I bring a partner so we can shoulder the load and we can grow this baby together? Uh, but I think over time, I realised that it's actually harder than I thought it was. You know how I talked about at the start that you sort of think, oh well, everyone understands this stuff, but as you talk to talk more and more people. It's really hard to explain. They just don't get it. And then you realise, maybe I'm just somehow in a unique place. Yeah. So therefore, I can't get someone to work with me. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe after year five, you think, well, it's too late to get a partner now. Yeah, but what we're going to... What's done is done. Exactly. Yeah. What, what, sh- what are you going to share with them? Yeah. So you just sort of, oh, I'm solo now. I'm sticking with it. Yeah. Uh, seems to have worked out okay. Um and looking back on those formative years, there must be something, something in the business sense that you go, geez, I, I, should, I wish I'd done that better, you know? Oh, oh, plenty, plenty. I think marketing. Yep. So coming from an accounting finance background, it's all about detail. So I remember when I was working at Macquarie, what, I, what my job was present the detail and the facts to my manager, state these are the conclusions, and that that's job done because it's all about facts. Yep. But when you're trying to sell to people, giving them facts, that's not helping them at all. They, they want something more than facts. So I was trying to give people you know, calculations that you can go, well, this this if you do it this way, clearly this is the best way. And they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, well, what? How, how else can I explain it? Yeah. Because isn't the facts the most important? But then as soon as I learned that, it's not the facts. It's people want uh, comfort, they want guidance, they just want to be told what to do. Yep. 
It actually they just want the end result. Yeah. They don't even care what, what the black box is in the middle. Yeah. You do what you need to do. Yes. Just yes. get me what I want yeah. to do. And then so so the marketing and the sales and all that had to had to change. And I, I'm still I, I think I'm still changing. Yep. Because I'm trying to take the detail away. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just deliver the end result. But yeah. I, I think that's one thing I, I would, would have been good to know early on. Uh, and, I hope, and I think the second thing is I was moving from my internal role, working with Macropia, which is quite bright, to the, working with the public. And, and the public has a whole wide range of people. You've got people that get what you're doing, people that don't get what you're doing, people that like what you're doing, people that hate what you're doing. So you had the whole gamut. It, it, everyone has the right to comment based, based on what you do. Yep. So we, we have people that will complain about your, our fees. You're, you're charging way too much. You're ripping people off. But they weren't our customers. They were just on the side complaining. And you get people that... Do you take it personally? Well, at the start, you used to take it personally. Yeah. But then you also offset with the other side where people are like, what you're doing is great. Your yep. fees are fine. I'm happy to keep paying. I'm coming, coming back. So you get all these different feedback. Yeah. You don't know who to believe. Yeah. So after a while, you just, you just turn off the bits you don't want to listen to because, you know, there's always going to be whinges. Yeah. Uh, you, you take constructive feedback. And I think ultimately, if someone's your customer, you listen to them because they're your customer. Yeah. If someone's not your customer, then, you know, they can say whatever they like, yeah. but they're actually not your customer. It's actually it's just actually good advice. I've never actually heard someone say it in those terms, but everyone's got an opinion. The ones that really matter are the ones who are engaged with you and your service, and uh, you know there's a value chain there. So yeah, that feedback's more real, I guess, because mm, mm. they they are engaged with your service you're offering. They understand your service. But- so in this period of time, uh, did you have a mentor or someone you could take these things and say, well, you know, help me. I'm by myself. What what does this mean? Do you have someone you could lean on? Yeah, so I have, we have some ad hoc mentors that we, we talk to. I guess for me, being an ad hoc guy, we don't have a regular thing, but we, we, we bounce off a few ideas. My friends are a massive help. So I guess um, chewing the ears of my friends on a weekly basis, talking about different things, what should I do? So I guess my friends and uh, my wife is a, is a key one. I was going to ask, you, you write. I've seen you, you write. You've written blog posts and these sorts of things. What's it about sharing your thoughts with others that you enjoy? I think it's so. So, using points is the cheapest way to fly a business class, and I, I'm always astounded why business owners don't use points because they have access to earning points. So the reason I why I write and do um, videos and you know, media and podcasts. It's, it's just about all helping them understand that they have access to this. They actually, I believe they have special access to the ability to earn more points. So business owners, because they've got business expenses to pay, yep. can now can earn points on a proportionally higher level than an individual yes. just salary earning. Yep. So, so, so why throw away that opportunity to earn points yep. and fly? Um, Most people don't know that you can pay your taxes online with credit card and get points. Yeah, but there's a better way to do it than paying direct. Though. Oh, hang on. Indirect. Really? Yes. You've got to use a third-party provider because otherwise, if you pay the ATO directly, you get less points. I'm going to come back to that gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, your personal brand, 
it's very strong. And as you said, you're a podcast, you're in the media, you're known incredibly well now. Um, you're essentially the go-to font of knowledge for frequent flyer point schemes. How did you get to this position again? Did, did you luck into this or evolve into it? Or was there a strategy that you thought, actually, I've got to leverage my brand here. I've got something here that dovetails nicely with me. Yeah. I guess it was a strategy. It comes back to when sort of I was sitting open plan, you know, with people earning five, six million dollars a year. And they were saying that, well, it's only because I know this thing really well and I get paid for it. So mergers and acquisitions, they know it really well. So I thought, well, if I can deploy that strategy not in finance, what will I do? It, so therefore I picked frequent flyer points yeah, as right. my specialty. Yeah. If I was going to be the best in Australia at frequent flyer points and know everything about frequent flyer points and credit cards, then I would be the go-to person. Yes. Because no one else knew about it. So that was my strategy is how do I know as much as I can from it and how do I let other people know I know them as much as I well, can. Well, you've achieved that goal. You're definitely the go-to person. So let me ask you this. Points Whisperer, anointed by self or by others? By others. It was actually uh, <laughs> editor. Uh, an editor or a journalist uh, gave me that title. Really? Yeah. And it's stuck. And it's stuck. It's and I, good. And I trademarked it the next day. Yeah, I saw there was a trade. <laughs> That's very well done. Um, now, I did an enormous, I'm saying offline, did quite a bit of travel in my last uh, uh, business. Uh, thoroughly enjoy planes, especially when I'm lying down. Yes. How many people just want to be at the front of the plane? Oh, well, I've only ever met one person that doesn't want to fly at the point and i think this is very particular to australians actually so you've got first class business class and economy some people some some people say they don't want to fly first class because they feel like if they've gone tried first class that every other class would just be ruined yeah and 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 that's for me that's not quite rational because if you haven't tried it how do you know if you haven't tried it then you're missing out but some people deliberately don't fly first because they know that they'll be wanting it forever. <laughs> and, um, and I think I think that's actually good. If you want it forever, your brain will find ways to deliver yes, for go, it. Yes, go get a job at Macquarie yeah. as, a, as or, a banker. Or as an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many ways. So if you want to fly first class forever, yeah. I think you set your brain to it and your brain will find ways to deliver the way there's, to get there's, there. there are no no barriers there, there's no, I think I think in these in this world entrepreneurs social media the fact that you can sell anything to anyone yep uh, there, there are no barriers there's no barriers what about points then those who want to go to Japan next week or down the track and they got points how many people want to use their points on business class seats yeah a lot of people want to use their points to fly business class. Some people don't know they can fly business class. So the I think the hurdles of using points is because it's quite a complex system, people have points, but they don't know where you can get them. So say someone had half a million points, I have some customers that never knew you can get two business class flights from that. They, they thought they were still had not had enough. Where some people who got 80,000 points wants to fly fly family free on business class. So what happens is people don't know how many points to fly yeah. somewhere. So it's a bit like going to a shop and it's got no prices oh, until you get to the checkout. It will be a pretty crappy shop because yeah. people will just leave heaps of stuff yeah. unbought yeah. on the side. Oh, that's too much. That'd didn't be too much. I, was I didn't that. have the money to pay yeah. for that. So 
So that that's very much like frequent flyer points. Um, so each airline has a points calculator that you can put in from to until you points. But the thing is, uh, most people never search for it. So everyone accumulates their points. They don't know how many how many points it takes to fly somewhere. So therefore, they don't know where they can fly. So they just keep accumulating them. And when they try to use them, they they and then there's no seats. Then there's, oh, then, then the seats is a separate thing. Yeah. First, you got to have the points. Yes. And then you go. Okay, now I've got the points. Now I've got to find a seat, and they are seldom seats. Actually, well, that's not fully true. Like obviously, we run a business that helps find seats, so we find seats. But I think the mindset has to come from when you first look, expect no seats. If you keep looking, you'll find them. So it's like fishing. So just because you put a hook in some bait, the fish is not going to bite straight away. Yeah. You have to be out there consistently doing whatever the tricks. Yes. And then somehow you find that you catch a couple of fish in a row. Yeah. You, you don't know why, but you, you're doing something that works. Uh, and I think that's the same as freaking fly seats. You've, you've said there's a lot of ways I can accumulate points or anyone can accumulate points. If I was to say the cost of buying a, a ticket to, let's say, London return is $7,000. Probably seven to 10000 yeah. And if I got a business class ticket with points, how much have I spent to accumulate those points? I mean, yep. I'm sure it's a sliding scale, yep. but give me an average case scenario. Yeah, sure. So one side could be zero because you could be uh, paying for things on credit card uh, with no fees. or So you, the cost to you getting the points is zero. Yep. But if you were to uh, structure in such a way that you, you pay for fees, I guess on average you probably pay about one point five percent in fees. So therefore, uh, let's take the lowest cost example. You can fly on Singapore Airlines business class. Uh, that ticket would probably sell, say, an average eight thousand dollars to Europe. You can fly for two hundred thirty-two thousand Singapore cruise flyer points. Yep. So you, you roughly earn one point per dollar. Yep. So it means you have to spend about two hundred thirty-two thousand dollars paying for something. Uh, so at 1.5% fee, it costs you about, say, 3000 bucks in fees. Then when you book your ticket, you've got some airline taxes to pay. Singapore's cheapest, about $500 yep. taxes. So so basically under $3,000, you've got yourself a ticket that's worth $8,000. Right. And, and that's one scenario. So you're basically, you know, less than 50% of cost. Yeah, definitely always less than 50%. And you're spending this money anyway. Like yep. you're going to have to buy these assets or pay this amount of tax. This is outgoings that, you know, are unavoidable. You're not spending the money just to earn points. Yep. So I think that's an important step that people need to think about. Um, and you accumulate them and you can, you can use them. I mean, why aren't people doing this every single day as part of their business makeup? Like... I think the main hurdle they, they go is, well, why? I don't want to pay fees. So even though they had to spend 232000 bucks paying suppliers, they could have just paid $232,000 on via EFT uh, for no fees and got no points. But when someone says, oh, I charge you 1% fee, they go, oh, why do I want to pay 1% more for mm. when I could have put zero, zero? Yeah. But I think, I guess the key calculation which they fail to make is, if I pay 1% more and I've got my 232,000 points, yep. then I could swap that for $8,000. So it's cost me two, $2,320 yep. 
and I pay an extra five hundred dollars, and I'm now yep. got a business class seat. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, pretty good, pretty good it, math. That it, makes sense. It's pretty good maths. Yeah, only when they realise that by paying a little bit more, they get the points. The points are worth something much more than the cost. Uh, I, I think that's the whole gap that's missed because drummed into everyone's mind is why pay more than you need to. So why, why pay fees? Because they don't understand that these fees get them something that's more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would have fallen into that category as well. I've always balked at 1.5R, like I've just put it on EFT. Yep. Um, in terms of doing this, I mean, you've been ahead of the curve because not only have frequent flyer schemes grown massively, especially our own in, you know, Qantas mm. and Virgin. They're, I mean, that's the, the cornerstone of profitability in Qantas is being driven out of the frequent flyer division. Um, but did you also realise at the time that you're ahead of the curve in the desirability of business class travel, this aspiration to be at the pointy end, to be, you know, showing everyone on social media that you're flying flat? Again, did you see these trends or did you just happen to be there as they started to emerge? Well, I flew my first business class flight uh, when I was working with Crow going to India uh, on Singapore Airlines. Actually, it was the first A380. So when A380 first came out, Singapore Airlines was the first customer. So this is the very first A380 in the world. It wasn't the first flight, but it was. I flew that and I realised, wow, this is the way to fly. <laughs> Prior to that, I've never flown anything apart from economy. And then I realized that you can, if you were able to travel in that sort of comfort, you can cover any distance, any amount of time, and you wouldn't be a bother. So traveling moved from something that was something that you would try to avoid. Because, for example, if you think about a holiday, you got the excitement and the lead up, and then you got a day of travel. If you're flying economy, you're just like, oh, Got to steal yourself for yeah, 18 hours in the right. plane. You got to prepare. You got to get yourself a deck pillow. How am I going to survive this flight? Then you're on holidays. Fantastic. When the holiday's about to end, you go, oh, I've got another flight uh, to survive. Uh, and night. then I get home and then I'm down back at a work. Night right? flight back from Asia and I'm stuck 5 a.m. in the morning, haven't slept. I've got a whole day in front of yep. me. I mean, that just sucks. So <laughs> that's the economy, what you feel when you fly economy. If you flew business class, yes. the travel part is not significant at all. It's, it's like you're sitting in your home lounge You look room. forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to be pampered. You get food, you get drinks, all for free. Yeah. And if, if you're not looking forward to it, at least it's neutral. Yeah. It, it's not a, it's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Your baggage, bring as much as you want. Yeah. And then if you have the scenario in first class, that's something to look forward to because nowhere else in the world – is someone going to continually pamper you, give you unlimited food, alcohol, ex- alcohol top shelf, champagnes. Yep. Even when you, when you get home, you're not going to have it as good as first class. <laughs> so once you think about those three scenarios, you think, well, if you can fly first in business class all the time, then travel will not be a problem. No. And, and that's yeah. how. It, and what, what about, I mean, you know, you, you've, alluded to a couple of things that people can do. You've obviously built up a huge amount of IP and know-how in this business and got great connections. Are you ever worried that uh, someone might be able to build a, a system that, that, you know, trumps what you've done or is it still so complex that, you know, your hand-holding and advice is, is required? 
Mm. I don't think it's purely the technical part that's that's complicated because law is technical. Uh, taxation accounting is technical. So all that stuff is really technical. So I don't think it's more complicated than that. Uh, I think it is uh, an element of who your type of customer is. Mm-hmm. So your customers are general everyday people. They've got these points uh, and how do you facilitate converting those, turning those points into travel? I think that's the gold. The, the black box bit is technical as numbers. No doubt AI or some computer program could do it, but how do you deliver it yeah, to the right. end, end customer? Yeah. That's, I think that's probably the IP. So if someone else did all the calculation and stuff, that, that's, I think that's probably the easiest of all. But how do you go through, I guess for us, the booking process is so undocumented. So earlier we talked about talking to different agents. Yep. Sometimes you find a seat online, but you can't book it because there's some error. You don't know if the seat actually exists or because. So there's all these variables. So you just don't take no as an answer if you see it on a screen. You go, well, we've just got to dive in a little bit deeper here. You've got to dive in and, and work out whether there's a seat truly available. Is yep. there another way to book it? Yeah. Maybe through another partner. Yeah. You, you, just, you just don't know because I guess the benefit we have is we're always booking seats. So we know we come across that problem in the past and we've either found a way to solve it or found some more information about it. So next time around, we come to the same problem. Yep. We, we're a little bit ahead. So that's all of a learning process. And yep. I, I don't think IT or AI can solve that. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's good corporate IP you've built up a know-how over a number yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, I suppose one of the things that occurred to me was, you know, companies accumulate points, but they seem to belong to an individual. I think there's, uh, there's probably three different answers depending on size of your company. So, so we don't tend to work with the large blue chip or the, or the big companies because even though on a surface they spend lots and lots of money, so therefore on a surface they can earn lots and lots of points. But once the points are earned, there's no clear who will use them because say a blue chip company, BHP, uh, that's very too big, but if they earn 50 million points a year, who will use them? Actually, no one will use them because the people who fly, they're used to flying on the date they want, on a class they want. Yep. So therefore, you can only achieve that with money. If you try to make them more flexible on points, it will be like, well, what for? Yeah. So the only, the, the best size business that this works for is small to medium size. Where the owners. Where the are owners. In. Yep. It's their money. Yep. They're able to have the culture that if the, if the company saves money, then there's more for everyone. Yep. It's not like the money saved, the 10,000 bucks saved in BHP goes into a black hole. You never see that again. But small, medium company, $10,000, it could come back at a Christmas party. It could come back, let the money yep. will be remembered will be saved yep. and they'll trade flexibility for savings every yep. time. And like you, the example of you sitting with you know people next to uh, you in Macquarie and Open Plan, the job that someone at BHP is doing is equally as important as the job you're doing and it's just as important to get a good night's sleep when mm. you land in London or New York, fresh yep. ready to do your business deals. So the, you know, the importance, I think, from a work perspective of being able to fly flat is massive. You know, I used to take this Melbourne, London via Perth trip quite a bit and I'd hit the 
hit the ground in Heathrow at sort of 5.15 in the morning and be in London by 8 o'clock, if I hadn't slept but for at least, you know, six or seven hours, you can't do a day's work. And I'd still be going 10 p.m. at night, uh, probably a few beers by this stage, <laughs> but, you know, still awake because I'd had a decent night's sleep. And you can't – this was for a small business. You can't mm. underestimate how – good asleep or even you know even if you get six hours sleep yeah. this is a valuable asset isn't it well because you're going there for a purpose um you're not going there for holiday so therefore the whole purpose that you need to make the trip is that means that you have to be in person and if you don't get any sleep or rest along the way and you're going to turn up and try to do that you might as well you're, you're probably doing yourself a disservice yes than a positive because you're not performing at your best now i think obviously there's uh, just price and cost pressures. Why? If if business class was cheap, everyone would fly business class yeah. because they, they've been, the only reason why they don't is because of cost. If you can solve the cost problem, yeah. then you'll do more. But I will even extend it to holiday because now these people are so time poor these days that if you land on holidays, you want to start your holiday. Yeah, get cracking. Yeah, you don't have. You're not going to have a couple of sleeps and get into your holiday because by that time you're going to come home, and then what? Then when you come home, you got to hit the ground running as well. So there's no none of this buffer either side these days. I think you know you got you got five days holidays. You got to make the most of it, either the start of the holiday or the, at the end. Yeah, I know many people that will fly back six a.m. and go straight to the office. Yeah, uh, if you flew economy. What's the point of going to work that day? No, you're, you're ruined. You've yeah. got about two hours of productivity before you. There's only so many coffees you can have <laughs> before you just, yeah, you've Correct. zoned out completely. And, and then what if you start making mistakes during that time? That's even worse. You're actually going backwards. Yeah, it's true. I'm going to come back to you. Um, is it in your DNA to, you know, keep persevering and work hard to to build this business? You could have given up. I'm sure there were many points you, you'd thought about it. Is it in your DNA to just keep breaking down walls and keep persevering? What? Oh, a t- tough question. Oh, de- definitely many times you go, mm, would this work? But I think what I, what I love more about it is not the travel part. Uh, like obviously I love the travel part, but that's actually not the key thing. The key thing is the ability to convert something that for some people is not of value, points, into something that you no one can disagree with travel. Yep. So you're converting unloved assets into loved um, experiences. And I think that's what gives me a kick, the ability to help someone who's, who's running a business, could never fly a 40 fly business class because they don't want to spend, take money away from the business. But because they got all these points, they're able to achieve travel which is sort of why they ran the business, yeah. but it just wasn't the right timing. Yeah. And I think that gives me much more joy because I was able to convert something that they never knew they could into something they could. I was going to say before getting to it, for people who don't know, that even with the Export Market Development Grant, I found out that you can claim business class flights back from the government as part of that. So, you know, even the government recognises the importance of people in business yes. doing business and getting there in an appropriate manner. So. Yeah, yeah, and operating efficiently, properly, yeah. So the quick fire round. Um, if you could go now, any place in the world for lunch, where are you going? Oh, Tokyo. Yeah. Tokyo food is just out of this world. 
Um, where do you want to take your next holiday? I, I actually like to go to Europe more because the fact that the f- culture's thousands of years, stone roads, yep. buildings, yep. you still feel like, wow, this this has something that doesn't exist in Australia, of course. Even, even in America, doesn't exist. So all that culture is starting to rub off on me. What's your favourite movie? Oh, the most recent movie I watched was uh, Rocket Man. Yes. Elton John. Very enjoyable. And I, I found that was truly enjoyable. Yeah. The music it brought me back the love of his music. Yeah, same. So same. I, I still listen to it on my playlist. Yeah. This is like two weeks, three it, weeks later. It's not what I expected as a movie at all. Yeah. And it was just brilliant. Uh, who is your favourite singer? I think Robbie Williams is my favourite. I think he's got – his songs have so much sort of deepness in it. What culture fascinates you? I, f- I think the European culture – fascinates me because when it comes to summertime they're just like completely switched on holidays nothing bothers them yep so relaxed yeah so chilled yep they are uh, i guess maybe some other cultures might have the same but i haven't i don't know if americans do that but the european culture just seems to be yeah don't worry do it later lastly what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs young entrepreneurs i think my advice for young entrepreneurs is I think you're just going to try a heap of new things and don't be afraid of, I say for us, for young and old entrepreneurs is do what you need, need to do and just get just move on. Yeah. Because otherwise you're way overthinking about it. Yeah. You're thinking about things that other people are not thinking about and, and you're just delaying the growth of your business. Yeah. So I think for me, there's many times which I want to do stuff, I was worried, what would it mean? And I did it, there was hardly any feedback. It just just continued on. So therefore, if like if you compounded by all this overthinking, overthinking, you, something that you could have done in two years, you probably could have done in three months. Yeah. And that means your business will move forward so much faster. Yeah. So I guess that's my one advice is, if you think it works well and you consider the pros and cons, just do it. Just do it. And wait and see for the feedback. Brilliant. Steve Huey, thanks for giving uh, disciplined listeners a real insight into iFlyFlat.com.au. Uh, don't sit on your points. Spend them. Go business class. Uh, thanks for all your uh, insights and thank you for being on Discipline. Cool. My absolute pleasure. Really great to talk to you, Tony. Yeah.